Praise God for her. I'm so thankful this morning. You please take your Bibles with me and open them to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning. We are pressing pause on our series from uh, Mark for two weeks, just two weeks, so I can share a couple of messages that, you know, I really get the sense from the Lord that we, uh, that we need to hear. And today I want to share a very, a very somber word from God's Word that we need to take very seriously. And I pray that if you, when this is done, and online or whatever, if you have members of your family that you think need to hear this, I pray that you will just be bold, send it to them. This subject this morning, it really has had my, my spirit very just unsettled all week long. Uh, and so with your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 3, would you please stand for the reading of God's sacred word. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 12. The author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Our Lord, I pray that you would take this weak, broken, sinful, rotten vessel that stands on two legs behind this pulpit, and Lord, use these words to impact every heart that is here this morning or every heart that is watching online or perhaps may watch or hear online later. Lord, show us the Lord Jesus Christ in His fullness so that we would sing and pray with that last song, Lord, we do not want to fall away from you. We ask this in your holy and sweet name. Amen. You may be seated. Last week I read uh, the heartbreaking news, heartbreaking, literally heartbreaking, uh, uh, news of yet another Christian leader in the evangelical church in America who just a few days ago posted a video online announcing, of course, his defection from the faith. His name is Paul Maxwell. He was educated at Moody Bible Institute, Westminster Theological Seminary right up here in Philadelphia. And he has a Ph.D. in theology from 
Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Friends, if you know anything about evangelical institutions, you know that this is the ultimate trifecta of Christian higher education. But in a very emotional video posted to Instagram, to his Instagram followers just over a week ago, he essentially deconfessed his faith. He said this, quote, this is Dr. Paul Maxwell, who, by the way, is a young man. He said, quote, I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore. And it feels really good. I'm really happy. I can't wait to discover what kind of connection I can have with all you beautiful people as I try to figure out what's next. I love you guys. I'm in a really good spot, probably the best spot of my life. I'm so full of joy for the first time. I love my life, end quote. And just like that, another Christian leader walks away from the Christian faith. By the way, Paul Maxwell, Dr. Paul Maxwell, was formerly an online contributor for John Piper's Ministry Desiring God, as well as the Gospel Coalition. But he is just the next one in an increasingly long list of high-profile Christians with fairly large followings who are throwing in the towel on Jesus Christ. They call it deconversion. In fact, one of the trendy things to be right now is an ex-evangelical. They, they call it ex-evangelical. The Bible calls it apostasy and falling away from the faith. And so against this backdrop of the latest testimony of deconversion in the American church, the American evangelical church, the ones who are supposed to believe the Bible and hold to the five solas of the Reformation, Scripture alone, grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, and the glory of God alone, against the backdrop of this sort of deconversion from the faith, we come to our text this morning, Hebrews 3.12, which serves as a somber warning, and in fact, very frightening reminder that this can happen to any of us. And so the first main thought that I want us to consider from this passage, Hebrews 12, 13 and 14, 3, 12, 13 and 14, the, the first main thought is the danger of falling away is real. It is real. John Owen, in fact, said that the threat to the congregation is real, the threat of the apostasy from the Christian faith. Look at verse 12 again very closely, please. Take care, brothers. Adelphoi in the language of the New Testament, which means 
can be translated brothers and sisters. Take care, church. Take care, brothers. Take care, family of God. Lest there be in any of you. Friends, I want you to hear this text as if the author of Hebrews is speaking directly to you and me this morning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of us an an evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. Have you ever wondered why? If believers are eternally secure in their salvation, then why are there so many passages in the New Testament that warn against falling away? Ever thought about that? The New Testament is replete. It is, it is chock full of passages that contain not only warnings against falling away, but examples of those who have fallen away, some even mentioned by name. Paul writes to his protege Timothy, he says, two certain individuals have made shipwreck of their faith. If believers are, as Romans 8, 29 and 30 say, if believers are foreknown, if we are predestined, if we are called, justified, and ultimately glorified, then why all the warnings? Why the examples of apostasy? How do we explain that? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you why these warnings are there. It's because the divine author of the book that sits in your lap this morning knows that the profession of faith is not necessarily the possession of faith. The profession of faith from our lips is not necessarily, not even close necessarily to the possession of faith. There are many who profess faith in Jesus Christ with their mouths, but their hearts never actually possess that faith. Indeed, Jesus warned us about the terrifying reality of false faith when he said in Matthew 15, 8, of, by the way, the religious leaders nonetheless, he said this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Friends, I am talking about the very real possibility that there could be some here in these pews who have sat in these pews for 40 or 50 years who do not really know Jesus Christ. They may look like a Christian. They may act like a Christian. They may do all the things that Christians do, but they don't really know Jesus Christ. Friends, the danger is real for every single one of us here today, including myself. And we need to get real with it. Lest we become the latest name to be added to the list of apostates in the evangelical church in America. 
And so in our text, the author of Hebrews addresses his own congregation, most likely Jewish Christians. He addresses his own people and he says, Take care, brothers. (laughs) I want to tell you that this morning. Take care, brothers and sisters, that you do not fall away. He says, Beware. This This is a flashing red light. A warning to us to be on guard against those things which creep into our hearts and lead us away from the living God. This is not some false God. This is not Muhammad. This is not Allah. This is not some vain deity of our own imagination. This is the one true and living God that the author of Hebrews says that we are falling away from. And he says very clearly in this verse, verse 12, that the root of apostasy, the root of falling away, is an evil, unbelieving heart. Consider some of the reasons that former Christians give for their deconversion. They may say it was intellectual, that modern science has disproved God, or they can't reconcile science and the Bible, or they may say that the Bible has been proven to contain error. Or they may say that the reason was experiential, that something happened to them that led them to question the goodness of God, perhaps a, a personal loss or a terrible tragedy that has undermined their faith. How could a loving God, a good God, let this happen to me? They say. Well, they may say that that all Christians are hypocrites and that Christianity just doesn't work. But ultimately, friends, the root of every excuse we might give for falling away from The Lord Jesus Christ is unbelief right here in our hearts, not in our minds. It's not intellectual. (laughs) It's spiritual. Unbelief in our hearts. What's in your heart this morning? Is there a seed of unbelief growing that will lead you to fall away from the living God. Friends, you better deal with it, and you better deal with it right now. Don't wait for this service to be over. Start dealing with it right now. Pray that God would search your heart by the Holy Spirit, even this very second, and begin to root out any budding seeds of unbelief. This danger is real. The second main thought I want us to consider from this text is that true faith proves itself in perseverance. And I want to kind of go in reverse. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if... Friends, that's a conditional word. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Man, that verse, we could preach for weeks on that verse. The phrase to share in Christ or 
I actually like the New King James Version there. To, to become partakers of Christ. This refers to the believer's union with Christ. Salvation is of Christ and in Christ, by Christ, and every blessing of salvation comes to us through our union with Christ by faith. So the point here is that our union with Christ then is authenticated by our continued perseverance. It's not enough, friends, to, to, to just profess belief in the Lord Jesus at one point in your life. It's not enough. It's not enough just to say a prayer or to kneel at an altar or to be baptized. And then after a while when the, the whole Christian experience just sort of gets boring or perhaps too hard, and then you begin living your own way. That's not real faith, friends. We have to hold fast to the very end. But don't be confused this morning. Please don't be confused. It is not perseverance that saves us. It doesn't save us, but it does prove that our profession, that what came out of our mouths was real, that we were truly partakers of Christ, like the writer says here, because we have continued in Christ until the end. And Jesus illustrates this as clear as it can be. John chapter 15, you know it. He says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch, that's you and me. We're the branches. Every branch that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, Jesus. He's speaking to His, his disciples. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But here it is. Verse 6 of John 15, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. And they are burned. You see, it is possible, this is what Jesus is saying here, it is possible to be connected to Christ in some external way. Like Judas, who heard these words. It is possible to, possible to be connected to Christ in some external way. You know, you, you come to church more often than you don't. 
you give. You have Bibles in your home. Maybe even some scripture verses on your refrigerator. Or perhaps even a cross hanging on your living room wall. All the externals are there. But inwardly, the heart does not abide in Christ. And friends, if that is you or me, we may very well be one of these fruitless branches that the vine dresser, the Father, takes away and throws into the fire. Are you trembling yet, friends? Because I am. How many Christians have you known who seemed genuine for a while, but then they fell away? And here's the real tragedy, church. Here's the real tragedy of that scenario. Because of some very, very, very bad teaching in the American church over the years, some of those who once professed Christ actually think they still possess eternal life because of some conversion experience they had, or something they did, or something they said. But the unanimous, I haven't given you hardly any verses this morning. But the unanimous testimony of Scripture is that unless we remain in Christ until the end, we are not saved. Did we not read those very words earlier in Matthew 24, 13, where Jesus says, the one who endures until the end will be saved. But wait, I thought, I thought once saved, always saved. Right? I thought, I thought believers were eternally secure. Right? Friends, let's talk more about what that really means. Tonight at 6 p.m. So we can have the time to dig a little deeper into the relationship between security, assurance, and perseverance. Would you come back? That's, that's, my, best, that's my best teaser for the Sunday night service right there. I think, it should be in, I think it should be on our minds. But the only thing that really matters right now, the only thing that I want going through your mind right now, is the present trajectory of your faith. Are you, as the writer of Hebrews says, presently holding in the present tense, holding your original confidence firm to the end? Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Are we presently holding fast to Christ in our hearts? Not, not in our externals. In our hearts. No one said it would be easy, church. This Christian life is not for the, for the, for the weak-minded here. This is hardcore warfare. 
No one said there wouldn't be moments of doubt or moments of struggle, but friends, we have got to quit in the American church today treating doubt and struggle like they are virtues. Because that's something I'm seeing more and more of. We treat our doubt as if it's some sort of mark of transparency. Or if it's some sort of mark of authenticity, well, I'm just keeping it real. That is some sort of spiritually healthy thing to struggle with doubt. But friends, where in the Bible does it tell us to empathize with our doubts? Just the opposite. God's Word calls us to lay aside, to abandon our doubts, to lay aside, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, every sin that might so easily beset us and run the race with endurance, with perseverance. Run the race for Jesus like He ran the race for us. We must persevere in spite of whatever doubts or whatever struggle we have. I see churches all the time. I'm noticing this in the this, this you know the biblical counseling movement. I believe in I believe in counseling. Don't get me wrong, but I'm seeing it. We, we want to somehow we're seeing counselors and scholars and theologians and pastors even trying to do this sort of empathy trick where we validate the doubts that people bring to us. Friend, what I want to do is invalidate your doubt and point you to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. I know I get kind of loud, buddy. I'm sorry. I'll take that as an amen over there. We must persevere. How do we do it? How do we persevere in these difficult days in which we're living? We're living in hard days. You know that. One final thought from Hebrews 3. And it's in verse 13. When I said we were going in reverse here. Verse 13, we persevere in community with one another. We persevere in community. Look around at the people around this room. We persevere with these people sitting right here. That's how we do it. Verse 13, but exhort, what? One another. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The word, this, this shocked me when I, when I studied this out. The word exhort in, in the Greek here in the original language that the author of Hebrews uses. It comes from the same root word that Jesus used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 7, when he called him the helper, the paraclete. The same root word. So to exhort then means to come alongside one another to help one another. And friends, this command presupposes the truth that individual believers must be meaningfully connected 
to the Christian community. What the New Testament calls the church. I know the church is falling on hard times right now. But God has ordained the church, not this building, but this people. He has ordained the church as a means for our perseverance. This is why we need to be connected to the church, the local church, not the internet church, not the online church of your favorite celebrity preacher. We need the visible flesh and blood local church if we have any hope to persevere in these dangerous spiritual last days. And if you remember nothing else this morning from this message, remember this. Isolation from the church is the first step to apostasy. First step. I would go so far as to say that if we could examine the particular circumstances of of those who are defecting and walking away from the faith right now in America and the church, in all probability, I know this to be true of some, But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's probably true of most. In all probability, very few of them have any meaningful connection to the local church. Or if they do, they're just going through the motions. We are living in such a culture of individualism that a growing number of Christians do not feel their need for each other. They do not feel their need for the local church. You can watch it online. I don't need to... I don't... It's the same as shopping Amazon. Between this American individualism and this online everything that we can access and this pandemic pandemonium that has scared people to leave their homes, we have never lived in a more isolated culture than we are living right now, at least not in my lifetime. Never seen anything like it. And all of this, friends, is contributing to the demise of the local church. Indeed, a Gallup poll that has tracked the religious practices of American Christians for nearly eight decades, 80 years, just announced in its, uh, its latest findings last month that between 1999 and 2020, what is that? I might do the math. 20 years, 21 years. Between 99 and 2020, church membership in America has dropped from 70% to 47%. That's almost a quarter. Professing Christians are falling away from the church. They're falling away from Christ. The reality is that we need the flesh and blood people of God in community if we are going to persevere and get this, just so you know I'm not making this up, the writer of Hebrews, he makes it very clear. This is not some once-a-week check-in on Sunday morning. Look at what he says in verse 13. Exhort one another what? 
yeah, daily, every day, while it is still called today. And notice the emphasis. He says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. John Owen says this. Let me give you the chapter, copied chapter by this, this quote comes out of tonight. Another teaser. Come back tonight. You need it. John Owen, he says this. He, he was a Puritan, probably the most profound theological writer of the Puritan era. He says, by the way, one of the reasons I quote dead guys a lot is because they can't fall away. actually didn't say that to be funny. (laughs) They can't fall away. He says this, Sin's expression is modest in the beginning, but once it gains a foothold, it continues to take further ground and presses on to greater heights. This advance of sin keeps the soul from seeing that it is drifting from God. It hardens the heart as it advances and has no boundaries but the utter denial of God and opposition to Him. In other words, it's a slow fade that we scarcely can even recognize. And the end result is apostasy. Consider some of the ways that our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Number one, sin will dull our sensitivity to the things of God. The Holy Spirit and His work and His person and the sweetness of His presence no longer tugs on our heart. We're dull to it. Sin will diminish our desire for public worship and the fellowship of the church. Sin will destroy our appetite for God's Word and for prayer. Sin will delude us into thinking that our sin is not sin. Sin will derail our faith and draw us away from Christ. This is why that when we, when we dig a little deeper into these deconversion stories of people who are leaving the faith, more often than not we find some cherished sin that they were unwilling to abandon and leave behind for the sake of Christ. Some cherished sin they were unwilling to mortify in the words of John Owen or to put to death. Friends, what sin are you cherishing in your heart this morning? Is it pride? Is it envy? Is it discontentment, lust perhaps, doubt? Oh, friends, do not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't let the the hot sun of sin bake your heart. Don't let it do it. Verse 13 says, To exhort one another as long as it is called today. And that's what I want to do. I don't care what you did when you were 8 years old. When you're 15 years old, when you're 35 years old, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what prayer you prayed or what experience you had. I have my own. I just went to South Carolina, my hometown, a few weeks ago and took a picture of the church that I was saved in. Irrelevant. All that matters is, am I trusting in Christ right now? 
Are you trusting in Christ right now? Are you surrendering all of your life to Jesus Christ right now? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're just barely hanging on. You're barely hanging on to faith. You're not really sure about anything. You're not sure, you're not sure about me, what I'm saying. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm sound weird. You, you don't know if you believe anything anymore. You don't know if you believe in Jesus Christ anymore. You're thinking about throwing in the towel. Or maybe you already have in your heart, but you're here in the pew. Maybe you think you've gone too far, that you're too far gone. Friend, I have good news for you today. The Lord says this to His backsliding people in Hosea 14.4, I will heal your apostasy. I will love you freely, for my anger has turned from you. God is extending His grace right now, today. His mercy is on full display in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are great sinners, unable to save ourselves or to keep ourselves saved. It's true. But Christ is a greater Savior who will heal us of our apostasy and raise us to new life in Him. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far away you've wandered from the truth. Will you kneel this morning at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, with that desperate father in Mark chapter 9, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Will you turn from your sin and your unbelief and will you trust in Christ right now while it is still called today? It won't always be called today, friends. But it is today. I began this message with a, with a story of, of an apostate, Paul Maxwell, a highly educated Christian leader who said, I'm just not a Christian anymore. But I want to end with a different story. The story of a man with a, a bit of a strange name. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of the church in the ancient city of Smyrna in what we would consider to be modern-day Turkey. The church historians tell us that Polycarp was himself discipled by the Apostle John. At the end of the first century, he was arrested in A.D. 155 during the reign of of the Roman Emperor Pius. He was brought before the proconsul, the judge, who told him that if he would but swear by Caesar and curse Christ, he would be released. He would be free to go. In the words of Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, at that moment were forever etched into Christian history. He answered, he answered the proconsul. He said this, quote, For 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? 
The proconsul continued to urge Polycarp to deny his faith, but he refused. Polycarp was tied to a post and burned alive for his faith. Actually, the story goes, and you can read this as most scholars accept it as authentic. The fire didn't even kill him. To kill him, they stabbed him in the heart with a knife and blood gushed out. For 86 years, I have served him. And he has done me no evil. How could I curse my king who saved me? Oh, brothers and sisters, the shallow faith of these modern apostates pale in comparison. This is perseverance. To the end, to the death if necessary, by God's grace and by God's grace alone, may we persevere until the very end. Let's pray.